Morning, church. Man, you surprised me. This is a pretty good crowd. I was uh, I was expecting us to be a little thin. You know, we don't respond too well to cold weather <laughs> or polar vortexes, right, here in Louisiana. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, I don't know where you land. There's always a debate about Valentine's Day. Is it just commercialized or whatever? But I always say these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is what? So anything that celebrates love, I'm in. I like it. I think it's good. Just don't spend too much money on all the junk. You know, that's all you got to do. So welcome to Fellowship Center. You guys are piping in now. Welcome to our live stream audience. Uh, you know, for those of you, I know there's a lot up north. We got a lot of folks from Canada uh, that tune in every uh, Sunday and then catch our live stream. And so, you know, we talk about when we get to 40 degrees in Louisiana, we have a word for that. You know what it's called? Winter. And so we don't know quite what to do with, with all these, you know, single-digit temperatures and all the snow and all the ice. And so it's been a, a quite the weird year. We don't understand negative anything uh, in Louisiana. So uh, we know you laugh at us, but, you know, we're cold here. Uh, and you look at me today and you say, no, you're sporting the nice vest. You know, I'm into vests, right? This is my, that I saved this for cold weather, this is my alpaca vest, Alpaca is a South American animal, kind of like a llama. And whatever the Almighty, when he made the alpaca, he made something that cold would not penetrate. It's fantastic. And so you say, well, ow, it looks great on you. You know, I've explained to you why I like vests and, and all their purposes. And you say, but what happens if you come inside? Because, you know, it's, it's warm inside here. I got something new for you today. Check this out. <laughs> the double vest. The double vest. For the you up-and-comers just hitting middle age and you're trying out the vest, and I'm seeing you guys out there, I'm tipping my hat to you, this is the next evolution. The double vest is great for the wintertime, still keeps everything packed in nicely, right? So Dr. Fauci wants us to wear two masks. I'm out on that, but if he wants to go for two vests, I'm in. I'm all about the vest. So I thought I'd reveal that to you today. And Tommy... Emin, you're watching from somewhere today. If you would go to the two vests, you would have the coolest nickname. We would call you Tommy Two Vests, which I think would be really cool. So anyway, Emery, come on up. We have the lovely Emery Lancaster. Last time we found out that she was a redneck princess because she has many talents, including driving heavy equipment. Today I find out that you just got your driver's license, which is kind of scary for the rest of us, right, in Washtenaw Parish. And then also she's 6-0 and in basketball and about to go to the playoffs. So I think that's pretty good, you know. Her talents keep rising, right? Can you hold it? Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. All right. Give us a go, Tigers, too. Go, Tigers. All right. There you go. I like it. I like it. Thank you, Emery. That's Clayton and you guys uh, out there watching. Um, power couples. That's what I want to talk about today. We, our theme for last night, we had a great event here last night. Uh, it was called Better Together. And uh, we had dinner together and some challenges. We had some, uh, some fun. We had some guys reading scripture over their wives, and that was really great and awesome. And, um, 
you know, we, we talked last night about this text quite a bit. It came up and shows you how the Holy Spirit was working through the host couples because we kept coming back to this text in Ecclesiastes. And we've been studying in the book of Acts, and we're going to have a story from there a little bit later. But I want to talk a little bit about the concept of what it looks like to be a power couple. Um, you know, I, I wasn't, I'd heard that before, and, and so I kind of did a little research in our culture on what it means to be a power couple. And so here was the definition I found on the Internet. I don't know who put it there, so take it for what it's worth. It's just an Internet definition, but it would pretty much confirm what I thought about power couples. A power couple is created when two powerful people, people who care about succeeding in their respective careers, come together in a relationship and manage to empower one another instead of dragging one another down. I thought, well, that's pretty good, right? I'm I'm all about empowerment. So this sounded pretty good until I got to the last line. And this showed me the shallow nature of what power couples are in our culture. The last sentence said, a big part of being a power couple is public perception. Although, ooh. So in other words, you really may not be powerful at all. You merely may be falling apart and have nothing good to offer. But as long as the public perception is a certain way, then there's a power couple. Now, when I looked on the list, because then they have a list of who power couples are in America in you know, this age, 2021. And there were a lot of names I recognized. They were celebrities and entertainers, a lot of athletes. They were married to celebrities or entertainers. They were politicians, of course, husband and wife, power couples. And I started looking down the list and I was like, where's Anna and Trey Tomlinson? They should have made the list. They're a power couple. I mean, I admire them. I look up to them, what they do every day. They didn't make the list. I didn't see Danny and Beverly Dobbs on there. Man, I see them everywhere around here. Power couple. I didn't see Billy and Lindy Loveland, but I sure see the results of what power can do in their lives, other people. I didn't even see Al and Lisa Robertson. Aren't you shocked? We are, we are D-list celebrities. Lisa and I. I mean, we've been on television. We wrote books, right? I've even been in a movie that's going to release, by the way. I think we're going to show it here called Roe versus Wade. I had a cameo in the movie. I was acting, a thespian, up for awards and everything. Had two scenes in the movie. And you're going to let it's the best 18 seconds of your life when you look for Al in this movie. I get shot in the movie, just spoiler alert. And yet we're not on the list. All we try to do, a lot of couples here that I know, is help other people see Christ. Help other people gain some wisdom and knowledge into their life to refine trust after it's been betrayed. I think I'd rather have that power couple. Romans fifteen thirteen says this, May the God of hope... Fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I look for in a power couple. How active is the Holy Spirit in their lives? Did you catch those words? Joy, peace, trust, hope. That's what you see flowing out of true power. 
That's what so many people are lacking in our culture, right? You look at lives and there's that fake public perception that behind the scenes there's anything but joy and peace and hope and trust. And it rots from underneath. There is power, and that's what we have to plug into. I want to talk a little bit about this text in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. You know, Solomon, I guess having a thousand wives, it would make you some bit of an expert on marriage. But I'm not so sure that he always, you know, kept himself where he needed to be. When you look at his writings and you see, he kind of got to the point after a while that, you know, how many is too many, right? And Ecclesiastes answers some of that. But he does have an interesting thing on relationships here. Now, look, this is broad. This could be any relationship. But today I want to focus in a little bit on marriage. I want you to think about these words in terms of how they reflect on us as a married couple, for those of us who are married or who will be married one day. First, he says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. So I think about this phrase, I think about a term that we use now kind of in our current culture called synergy. It's a business term. It means basically if you take one and you add another one to it, sometimes the result can be more than just two. It can be even more and it can grow. This idea of synergy, that there's something happened when people put their creative energy together. And that's kind of what I see in this text. And I don't know if you're like me. The whole time I was in school, all the way through, from college and back to high school, when I would take math classes, I didn't get it. I mean, I got the early stuff. That was okay. But as it got more complex, I thought, because I kept telling myself, when will I ever use this in real life? Did anybody else have the same effect? And then I see these math nerds like Kim Shackelford or Beverly Inman, people that really know their math. Do you notice what I did there? I just called them a nerd. What happens is when you, I want to make it sound like I'm not dumb. They're just too smart. You catch that? That's how we do, right? They understood it, though. Their brains were wired in such a way that they put those numbers and letters together, and it all made sense, and it just seemed like another language to me. Well, I have to tell you today, math nerds whom I love, you were right. Because I'm about to use a math illustration with synergy. So I am using it later in life. Now, I'm going back to, you know, my grandson could get this, but that's okay. I'm a simple man. One minus one equals what? Come on, you're making me look smart. You can say it out. One minus one equals zero. Thank you. I could hear the fellowship center got that one. One minus one is zero. What does that mean in a relationship? Well, that means if I'm constantly only concerned about what I can pull out for myself, we're never going to get where we need to get. As long as we live in the minus, only what can be done to satisfy me, me, me. Sin of selfishness was the very first one in the garden. And it permeates to this very day. Only me. One minus one, zero. Won't work. One times one equals what? One. You say, well, one times one equals one. So we just basically say the same. When you're working against one another, even if maybe you're not going backwards, but you're not going forward, you just stay the same. I can't tell you how many relationships are just mediocre. And people just begin to accept that. And so you say, well, I got my thing, you got your thing. As long as we got that X in the middle, we'll just coast and go. But it's never an improvement. Because one times one, just 
stays at one. That's not what he means. But one plus one equals what? Thank you, brother. One plus one equals two, which is much better, right? Now we're working together. This is a plus lifestyle. I want to add things into your life. I want to make your life better. Even that internet definition, you know, I just don't want to drag you down. And that's good as well. But when we talk about what Solomon brings out here, we're talking about one plus one equals three, which is even better. Synergy. Then he said, if, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. When I think about this, I think about responsibility and accountability. Having someone in your life that knows everything about you. That's a great bit of accountability for all of us. But it's also a responsibility to help one another. Solomon said, if you fall, I think a better word would have been when, right? We're not perfect. We fall short. And who better to help you up than the one you love? If two lie down together, they will keep warm. That's the idea of intimacy. Now, obviously, warmth from physical body, you think about physical intimacy, but God made us for physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy, all three. And we have to be helping provide that for the spouse. We want you to be emotionally strong. I want you to be spiritually strong. I want you to be physically strong. God put that in us. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. There's security. And again, security in the same way. Physical security, emotional security. Spiritual security. I mean, look, the evil one is the enemy, not each other. Sometimes we get in the midst of some battle inside our own relationship and we start thinking, man, this person is the enemy. No, they're not. That's the evil one working to bring division, just like he did in the garden. The very first husband and the very first wife were wrecked because of sin. And it's been going on ever since. And there's only one I know to be different. And that's the last thing that Solomon said. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. That's brilliant. We just went from two to what? See, one plus one, when you include the Almighty, is three. And now we've got a whole different animal. Now we've got a power couple. Because now the power of the Holy Spirit can infuse in us something that's divine and beyond anything this earth has to offer. That's why you see true power in Jesus Christ, in changed lives, in ministry to other people. This uh, triangle behind me, I don't know if you guys can see it. We used this yesterday for our photos last night for our event. And I love it. Uh, who, I don't know who did it, Ann and Trey, I guess. But I love the idea of the triangle and the idea of better together. And we've used this a lot in illustrational marriage. Because when you look at a triangle, if you imagine the top being God, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, that same three in one that He made us in His image. And if you imagine us being on either, so we enter into a relationship. And you could use this triangle for any relationship, but it especially works good for marriage. You enter into this idea of, I want to spend my life with this person and help them grow. And I want to have children. And I want to have a legacy and a future. And so you enter into this, and you're on either point of this lower triangle. By the way, geometry, hello, I'm using more of my math, math nerds. So you're down there at the bottom that I love. 
So you're down there at the bottom, and you're in Christ. And the idea is, is that we want to be more like him, what, every single day. I want to keep growing. I want to keep growing in him. I want to keep being more like him. And I mean, I want to time this thing out where when I take my last breath, I'm realizing just how close he really is. And then when I look at my spouse and I realize that if we're doing this together, the closer we get to the almighty, the closer we're getting to whom? Each other. That's what God has laid out for us to understand. That's what being a power couple means. To be more like my Lord every day. To follow his example. To let the Holy Spirit flow the fruit from me. Last night, Lisa and I talked about Philippians chapter 2. About having that same attitude as Christ Jesus. How do you do that? Well, you look out to the interest of the other. And that works in any relationship. But it especially works well in marriage. If I'm waking up every morning thinking, first of all, thank you, Lord, for new mercies and sacrifices for my sin. And secondly, how can I make this woman be better today? Our marriage can't help but thrive. Yes, better together. You know, the Bible has a lot of power couples in it. One of the ones that was a power couple about 3,000 years ago was a couple named Ahab and Jezebel. Now, it's interesting because Ahab was king and Jezebel, of course, his wife, but she loved Baal. And she had all these false prophets brought in. And I mean, Israel was just being trashed because of this power couple. And so God decided to have just, you know, we're going to have a little awakening. And so he put a little three-year famine on him just to let him know he was still up there. And he had his man, Elijah, hiding out. And then there was this big, huge confrontation in 1 Kings 18. All the prophets of Baal versus this one guy, Elijah. And it was quite the epic battle. I mean, there was taunting and it was wonderful. And that day, God brought down the fire, and then he brought down the rain to show that he is supreme. What's interesting is about the story is that Ahab and Jezebel weren't convinced, especially Jezebel. What's interesting is her name, 3,000 years ago, she was alive. Does anybody here know anybody named Jezebel? I mean, it's not really a popular name, right? In fact... My grandmother used it, she used two words when she would describe, I guess you'd call them loose women, hussies and Jezebels. That was the word used. Some of you old timers, you remember, right? That being used. Jezebel. The definition for it is the, uh, is, uh, where is it? She was a brazen, shameless, or morally unrestrained woman. Which sounds a lot like Jezebel, the Bible. Until I researched this, I didn't realize that Jezebel is making a comeback in our modern culture. You want to know by who? Modern feminists. They love her. I wonder why. Here's their explanation of her. She's one of the most intriguing women in scriptures. A blood-stained, yet strong-willed, politically astute, courageous woman. Who I will just tell you went to the dogs. Literally. Didn't end well for Jezebel. That's why you don't hear a lot of that name. I guess you'll get get it now in feminist circles if they ever get married and have kids. You don't want to be Jezebel or Ahab, either one. They were a power couple that were basing their power on the wrong thing. 
If you put any power based on anything, money, fame, your ability, your beauty, any of those things that make our so-called power couples and culture, it will fail. If it's not fueled by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 18, there's a great power couple that I want to highlight this morning. We're in Acts, so I'm jumping forward a little bit to Acts 18, verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters, and he sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Now, this is the power couple I want to be. What they do to be so powerful? Jump down to 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. This is a dynamic talented young man in the kingdom of God. But he was lacking something. Though he knew only the baptism of John. Remember, we're in this transition period. He had the baptism of John, you know, while Jesus was on the earth. But then when Jesus left, he says, look, there's going to be a new baptism. It's in me, and it's going to include the Holy Spirit that will live in you. And as powerful as this man was, he had missed that last component. So verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Good preacher, he's bringing the word. Old Testament's only new at this point. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, because see, they heard that, oh, wait a minute. He, he didn't know the last piece of the puzzle. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Simple thing. I doubt many people even knew that this happened. And yet, they were willing to get involved. They were willing to invite him in their home. They were willing to engage him spiritually. And they were willing to invest in the kingdom of God. That's a power couple. Whether anybody knew it or not, you know what? We know about it now, 2,000 years later. Why? Because Luke wrote it down. That's who I want to be like. Verse 27, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him, wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. This couple invested in this young man, and the kingdom expanded. That's what being a power couple is all about. There's a power couple here that also didn't make the list on the Internet, but I want you to hear a little bit about their story. Guys, roll the video. Go first. Uh, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who um, in the past has struggled with perfectionism, materialism, codependency, and today still struggle with pride, selfishness, and people-pleasing. My name's Debbie. Hey, baby. Hey, I'm uh, Chad Johnson, uh, the lucky man that got to marry Debbie. And uh, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, I've struggled um, with uh, being selfish, uh, being insecure, um, acknowledgement, uh, anger, lust. It's uh, really uh, trying to grow through all those things. Uh, and today, I'm working on being the man that God wants me to be. My name's Chad. Hey, baby. <laughs> I uh, grew up in a Christian home. As I got into my teenage years, I rebelled. 
I started chasing the party scene. There was a lot of, you know, drugs and alcohol around. I wasn't big into that, but I was very drawn to the crowd that was. And I ended up in a nine-year marriage that was just full of addiction, um, chaos, um, lots of lies, deception, lots of pain. And um, through that, though, during that time, I did... um, I turned back to God. I turned back to what I had learned growing up, to what I'd been taught. I mean, I was brought up in a good home, Christian home. We worked, uh, played, went to school and all that. Um, got out of uh, high school and uh, spread my wings, as they say. Uh, wound up uh, jumping into a marriage early. Had a, a beautiful daughter. Uh, four years of pretty rough times. Pretty much hit the bottom of my barrel, and uh, that night, you know, it was a it was a bad night. I'm sure a lot of people had them, but uh, that was the bottom that uh, that I didn't want to go any lower. And I just remember saying, uh, "Lord, I'm done." I said, "I'm done," and uh, I said, "I got a Bible in there," and uh, I said, "I'm going to start reading it." And uh, a couple of years later, was uh, I was in house church. At Alan Lisa Robertson's house at White's Ferry Road, still active uh, here, and this guy showed up <laughs> um, with a swoosh, yeah, swoosh haircut, and uh, we started dating. But we were both thinking, well, we're both Christians, so this relationship will be easy, right? <laughs> I mean, what can go wrong if you both uh, love God, and you know, what could be wrong? We found out. <laughs> you remember in the uh, marriage counseling, we take the test, you know, they do the personality test or something, and they're like, uh, you need to shut it down. Actually, they were just right. like, look, we don't recommend this, and um, it's like mud and water. Um, but we were in love, and, you know, we're both Christians, what could go wrong? Yeah. Well, we were, our whole marriage was driving kids back and forth to mm-hmm. meet the exes, you know, because we were a blended family. So yeah. that brought in yeah. so much more stress and just things we weren't prepared for. Yeah. Um, and instead of really seeking God in those things, I think we started seeing the flaws in each other. And we, um, we both are pretty stubborn and pretty hard-headed, so we did, a, we clashed. We knew that we loved God, and we weren't going to go anywhere. We weren't going to get a divorce. We decided that early on that we could live in the opposite ends of the house if we needed to, but we weren't going to do that again because we knew what divorce was. It wasn't a solution. So, you know, we just said we have to do whatever we have to do, and um, we just battled it out. So Uh, we were basically starting some rent houses, and we had talked with Josh about doing that. Uh, But God had other plans for that. Yeah. yeah, so Josh calls one day and says, hey, man, I need to start a, re- a women's recovery house. And I was like, oh, uh, no, I said, uh, work at the paper mill, you know, fishing hunt. And uh, so long story short, but we knew we needed something. And so Debbie and, uh, and some others were just like, hey, you need to start a thrift store. And I'm like, no. No, don't need to start a thrift store. I don't want to be hauling furniture on Saturday. We bucked it. You know, no, we'll start a restaurant. We'll start any. Well, the recovery homes, Once we, when we started, everybody had to go get a job. And so that's how, you know, we weren't going to be involved. Lady, you know, they were going to go get jobs, and we were just, we just had the house. And so these ladies would come in, and they would go get these jobs. And 
we just were seeing a high turnover. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, we, I think we could see that it could be better. Well, during all this, I mean, th these are dilapidated, dilapidated buildings, and there's just, Chad is basically rebuilding <laughs> just massive amounts of stuff. And I'm saying we need to do this, this, and this, and he's getting it done. And we'd clash, you know, we'd have, you know, things that would happen and we'd, you know, argue about something. What we didn't realize until later was God was using that to basically refine us. Yeah, well, I, I mean, for me, it was valuing you. It was, hey, we're, we're a team now. We're this partnership. You were his creation. He designed you uh, for his purpose and his pleasure, and I need to get on board with that. And then, in all the, the sweat, blood, and tears, you would see that someone's lives would be changing. And I just remember that as saying, hey, this is worth it. This is worth the grind. And I, I remember, I mean, and there still is. I mean, we're still, we still are under attack uh, or discipline or refining and testing. All of those things are still going on today. You know, and then just thinking about where we were 20 years ago, uh, 15 years ago, yeah. um, we pretty much couldn't be in the same room for very long. And yeah, I think we were the first ones that left the marriage retreat. So if any of y'all yeah. go and you do leave, you'll be number two because we were number one. Right. <laughs> we realized that we both loved God. We both loved our Savior. We wanted to serve Jesus and we wanted to, we knew we were going to live for Him. And that working together um, in ministry just <laughs> brought us together in ways where we could but, you know, not just focus on each other's flaws and all the things that drove us crazy, but we were able to start seeing um, how our our different our weaknesses, my weakness, yeah. you know, it, we complemented each other in getting things done. So it's definitely um, it's.